everybody. Welcome to Movie Mavens, a podcast about movies, hosted by me, Carson. And I'm Annie. And um, today's episode, we are going to be talking about Cabin in the Woods, directed by Drew Goddard, and um, Bad Times at the El Royale, also directed by Drew Goddard. Um, And that's our spicy double feature this week. Yes, what we've been doing is... Every week we swap off one of us picking what movie to watch, and then the other person picks the double feature based on that movie. We've also been rolling through the streaming platforms. We've done Netflix, we've done Hulu, and this is on Amazon Prime. Cabin in the Woods, specifically. Yeah. Um, but before we get started, uh, Annie, what have you been watching? What have you been consuming lately? Anything good? Uh, this week I watched the Parks and Recreation special where they reunited the cast for a COVID-19 sort of fundraiser for Feeding America. And all the cast members, like, shot their scenes from their own home, probably using, like, a (laughs) a cell phone or a web camera, because the whole episode is, like, a Skype call, essentially. Oh. And... Where where did they put it? Like, was this an NBC thing? It was on NBC, but they... You can watch it on Hulu, and I think they even put it on YouTube. It's just out there for everybody to see. That's cool. Yeah. And when I say they got the cast together, they got, have you seen, wait, but have you seen Parks and Rec? Yes. Okay. So they got like purred happily. They got Joan. Uh-huh. What's her last? Calamezzo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm trying to think if they got, they got John Ralphio. Um, wait, but did they get fat Chris Pratt? No, they got standard issue. Chris Pratt. Oh, honestly, they- bring Fat Pratt what? back. <laughs> Hashtag- yes, bring Fat Pat Pratt. <laughs> That's what? a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> we want Fat Pratt. Yeah, I liked him a little more back then. Yeah, me too. Um, they even got Paul Rudd. I mean, those people, like, everyone's available right now. That's the thing. <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> it's like nobody's doing anything. Oh, that's very true. Uh, so, yeah, they got everybody back. However, <laughs> I can only describe this special as Parks and Rec for babies. Oh, no. Because... While it was a, you know, Parks and Rec episode, it was also a a public service announcement for coronavirus, which is fine. But the way they, like, explained information was like explaining it to a toddler. It felt like Mm -hmm. an episode of Daniel Tiger, (laughs) if anyone's familiar. (laughs) Um, Like, for example the characters would just be having a funny conversation and then it'd be like, Andy, 
Don't forget, you have to wash your hands. Oh. And then there's like a joke about washing your hands. Or Ben is like, man, I really got to look out for my mental and emotional health these days. And Leslie's like, I do that by calling my best friend, Anne. And it, it, it plays out about like that. As if they're speaking to a toddler, which maybe the show is not to blame. And maybe that's because the audience is that stupid. Not the audience of Parks and Rec, just the wide audience of America. Um, maybe, yeah. Well, it could have been done that way, and I haven't seen it, but it could have been done that way to be, um, like, edited into, like, 15-second clips, you know? Oh, maybe. But that doesn't make I don't know, that doesn't make, like, why not just record 15-second clips? I don't know. Weird. Yeah. So do you recommend or no? Uh, I think it's sad that that's the reunion episode. I don't want to call it that. Cause it, mm. if you were to watch this at any other time in your life, you would turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. I've actually been rewatching a lot of parks and rec lately. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it'd be fun, but I think because I am rewatching it at the same time, I felt very pandered to. It's oh, like, yeah. look, it's my stop motion doll. We will remember that episode. Um, so, but it's also so good to see them all. I don't know. Yeah. Um, how long has it been off the air? Also, it could be that just like they were just getting used to like being those characters again. It's been a really long time. And I bet if I hadn't been rewatching it, I would have had a lot more fun. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'll watch it. Cause I haven't watched Parks and Rec in a while. Yeah. I want you to watch it out to see if my assessment of it being Parks and Rec for babies is accurate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it literally it. It plays out like a toddler show. Of which I've watched many of because of my family. <laughs> Honestly, I pref- I would have wished this was a Peppa Pig episode. <laughs> Preferably, if I could choose between the two. Uh, but yeah, tell me, Carson, what you've been watching this week. Mm, well, I've actually been really busy. <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> no, not surprisingly. I feel like I'm always busy, but I'm like... I make time for movies and TV, but yeah, I've just been so like way too busy to even like make time. So, um, but last weekend I watched what it, it, uh, the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, Willy Wonka and the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Gene. What is his name? Is it Simmons? Gene Wilder? Wilder. I was like Hackman Simmons. <laughs> Wilder. Um, and I. All right, I'll just say this: I was a little bit intoxicated, and that movie is fucking dark. Yeah. It it it's like it's not for kids. <laughs> It, like, didn't feel like a kid's movie. Quite the opposite of your assessment of Parks and Rec. (laughs) 
rewatching that movie, slightly intoxicated as an adult, I was just like really jarred by how horrible the kids were treated and like how trippy everything was. Like, I'm, I actually think that like they were all given drugs. Wow. <laughs> the kids? Is, yeah. Like everybody was given drugs. It's kind of like what I like vibes I got. That's I don't energy. know. It's really dark. I remember I told you this before, but I'm gonna say it again because it's so true. That tunnel scene really freaked me out as a kid. Yeah. No, it's... I think that, like, scene kind of solidified for me that, like, they were given drugs. (laughs) And that was, like, them falling down, like, into their trip. (laughs) I don't know if I can believe that, only because filming takes, uh, you know, that probably took, like, a month to film. That'd be a lot of drugs. Probably more than a month because you can only have kids for four hours a day or whatever. I don't know. No, no. I mean, like, metaphorically. Like, in the in the movie, they were given drugs. Am I not making sense? Oh, oh, like the characters of inside the story yes. of the movie? Yes. Like, those Oompa Loompas were doing some shady shit. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what if the candy bars are all laced dude that's what i think it is yeah what if you you know you go in there when you're not on drugs and the it's just like a factory just a boring factory yeah i i don't know it was just like it's really dark and then gene wilder like whenever whenever the kids started dying were like disappearing he was he would like he would have these lines that would be like oh no get away from there and just like really deadpan but really like what he wanted to say and what his character was saying was like yeah fucking die you little asshole kid yeah his whole thing was just to prove that kids were awful right yeah uh it was a lot i read recently so you know how they go into his willy wonka's office at the end and everything's cut in half yeah apparently in the book the office is supposed to be like extremely extremely normal which is supposed (laughs) to be you know super juxtaposed against the rest of the factory but the director was like we need his office to be kooky because he's a kooky man and then probably had the first that he executed the first idea that came into his head which was let's cut everything in half (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it was um it was it was an experience did you like the movie um yeah would you yeah maybe would you show, if you had kids, would you show them this movie? No, absolutely not. It is not for kids. This is not a kid's movie. <laughs> this is a psychological horror film. Dead ass. <laughs> uh, yeah. Gotta ask, though, do you have any opinions on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Tim Burton remake? Or With Johnny Depp? Yeah. 
Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, like probably since it came out, or no, I watched it one other time. But uh, yeah, I no, I don't have an opinion. Uh, like it's probably just as dark if I watched it now. Yeah, and Tim- juxtaposed it, especially considering Tim Burton is in the mix. Yeah, I remember and really liking it. Johnny Depp is like a steampunk like cult leader. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's probably equally horrifying and dark. I don't know. I'd watch it again. Yeah, I would too. I remember enjoying it. Also, I remember they did the Oompa Loompas practically, and they did the squirrels practically. I believe. What do you mean? Like they shot those aren't CG squirrels. I think they shot a squirrel. You know how there's like a billion squirrels? They just shot them all, either one at a time or a couple at a time. Oh, that's weird. And the Oompa Loompa is all one man. They just duplicated him. And so he had to do each part like over and over again. Versus in the original, yeah. it's like a bunch of different people dressed as Oompa Loompas. Yeah. I think it's funnier that it's uh, one guy. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. He's like scientifically like- engineered. <laughs> They're like, we're, what we're not going to do is hire a bunch of little people <laughs> and put and put actors to work. That's absolutely what we're not going to do. We're just going to pay this one man for a yeah. hundred people's job. Mm. Sounds about right. It's a choice. <laughs> okay, well, there's one more thing we watched that we both watched. Oh, yeah. Which is the Netflix special, Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Yeah. Uh, If you don't know, Middle Ditch and Schwartz is a comedy improv special with Thomas Middle Ditch and Ben Schwartz of Silicon Valley and Parks and Rec. And it's a three-episode special... They're performing two-man long-form improv, which means the entire hour is one scene. Between just the two of them, they're playing every character. They're swapping characters, trading characters for the whole hour. And each episode is entirely improvised, so each episode is entirely different. What'd you think of it? Um, I thought that the first one was the best. The parking lot wedding. Um, it... I guess I had never watched, like, I mean, like, I've done improv exercises and stuff, but I've never actually, like, watched people, like, for real do improv. Um, And, yeah, it was, like, exactly what I thought it would be, but really, it was just, like, really, really fun. Also, I discovered that I... I get well. Maybe I did know this, but I am extremely attracted to Ben Schwartz. <laughs> I think I realize that I'm extremely ta- attracted to Thomas Middleditch. Mm. Never mm-hmm. before have I been because he probably always plays this awkward weirdo. Yeah. But in this, he was like dressed up all cool and was extra funny. Yeah. No, they they're hysterical. I really I like 
I, okay, so they were on, I want to say both of them were on, like, Con, the um, Conan's podcast, like, a year ago, that was, like, Conan is looking for a friend, or Conan needs a friend, or something, um, but they were, like, touring while they were on the podcast, and so I knew that, like, this was something that they were doing together, um, but I, yeah, I just... I don't know what I expected, but this wasn't what I expected. And but it also exceeded my expectations. And I I really liked it. I think I once quarantine is over, I might seek out an improv show. Well, let me tell you, I love improv. I've done improv. And I would go to improv all the time locally. Which I'll hit you up with that with those deets for that, um, I, and but I've never loved long form improv. Usually for me, I don't know if it's because I haven't watched like these professionals, or I don't know. I, I don't think I've seen it done so expertly before. Um, and the reason I normally don't like it is because it can get stale really quickly. Mm. But th- these two are so good at what they do. It was almost frustrating to me how good they were. I love watching them create traps for themselves almost, and then dig themselves out of those traps with comedy. I love the feeling of watching them make a joke and me having no idea where they're trying to go with the joke. And then later realizing that they're pushing the, the story forward based on the audience's suggestions. Yeah. Like for example, in the parking lot wedding, which I do agree is the best episode. At one point, Thomas Middleditch just like walks by in, in a scene is like, I'm a ghost. And I'm like, okay, that was random, whatever. And then later the ghost reappears as a, as one of the main characters mentioned earlier. And I, at that point, I was like, oh my God, did they, did he plan that? And Ben Schwartz knew to pick that up later, or was it just all coincidence? I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I definitely recommend this to anyone who has or has not seen improv. Also, it was shot with nine cameras. Jeez. So that's why it, I think, is executed so well. And why you normally don't see improv on TV, because it's really hard to capture. Yeah. I, it's, it was, it's, like, really easy to watch. Yeah. Which, like, I didn't, I didn't think that that was going to be the case as someone who is not familiar with improv. I thought that it was going to be, like, a lot harder to kind of, yeah, I guess follow, but it was super... It was easy. It was funny. It's fun. And there's only three episodes. Yeah. Three hour long episodes. Cool. Well, shall we jump into our movies? Yes. All right. So uh, let's talk about Cabin in the Woods first. The lambs have passed through the gate. They are come to the killing floor. Get this party started! 
I seriously believe something weird is going on. What is that thing? We have to stay together. This isn't right. We should split up. Yeah, good idea. Really? Give me with some facts. Aight, uh, Cabin in the Woods was directed by Drew Goddard. It came out on April 13th, 2012, which, fun fact, 2012 is eight years ago. Oh my god. <laughs> Why does that feel like one year ago? I don't... Wow. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it has a 92% on Rotten Tom's. Let me read you the IMDb description. Five friends go for a break at a remote cabin where they get more than they bargain for, discovering the truth behind the cabin in the woods. Wow. Vague. Yeah. That is pretty vague. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, I don't really remember, but I'm pretty sure it was marketed as just, like, like another evil dead or, you know, just like another regular horror movie. So maybe the vagueness was like intentional for marketing purposes. Yeah. Which is interesting because like from that perspective, it's going to look like any run of the mill, almost formulaic horror film. But then when you see it, you're, you're met with something different yeah it is it is Uh, okay let's let's just get into it all right all right spoilers for time (laughs) in the woods coming at you so um how had you watched this before no you've never seen it before never seen it and i have wanted to for the longest time knowing that it is spoiler alert a satire Uh uh-huh but being not a huge fan of horror, I never took the dive. But then I saw this movie was like 90 minutes, so I had to jump in. Yeah. <laughs> and also, it's like, it's 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, I think just like from the get, like being... We're introduced to the people at the lab before we're introduced to the five, like, friends. And I think that is, like, so brilliant. Because then we are, we're not, like, sideswept halfway through the movie where we're like, oh, shit, wait a second. Who are these, you know, what is this lab? Whatever. Yeah. And, like, I think... And then uh, the gas station attendant, like all of these characters, all of these outside characters, aside from the five main people, were just like so well placed, I think, in terms of time that or timing that um, I like you're never lost. Yeah. And but at the same time, you don't know where it's going to go or what you don't even know what this lab is. You just know that 
it's doing something, which I think is really fun to watch play out. Yeah. And those two guys are so funny. The two lab guys are like my favorite characters. They're back and forth and like their comedic timing is so, it's so perfect. Yeah. I love that. I think the lab was like my favorite part of this movie. That was yeah. Richard Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. Whitford. Um, those two actors. The lab. So, for those of you that haven't seen it, you, you think this is going to be a standard horror film, but what's really happening is this government lab is executing some sort of sacrifice. And their method of performing a sacrifice is putting five people through a very standard issue horror plotline. And the sacrifice is to keep the ancient gods at will, or at bay, basically, to keep them happy. So every year they have to put five people through some sort of horror fiasco. So... Aside from that really vague description, Cabin in the Woods, for those of you who don't know, is uh, it's so <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of difficult to explain, I guess. Okay. Um so it rides on the the back of a like a typical formulaic horror film. And we are given these five characters who go to a cabin in the woods. And but simultaneously, we are following another storyline at this random lab where these people keep talking about like the ancient ones or what do they call them? Yeah, the ancient ones or the ancient gods. Yeah. Yeah. So they these people keep talking about like the, you know, the ancient ones and um, they're like all taking bets on different like horror tropes. So like zombies and mermen. <laughs> um, and so we kind of get a sense that like, okay, they maybe are feeding this like cat. They're feeding the experience that these five people are having in the cabin in the woods. And that's exactly what happens. Um, and the five people are then um, a, they go down into a basement and they all start fiddling with different stuff. And then um, the one, I'd call her the main character. Um, finally, she like, she opens a diary and she like reads something in Latin. And then um, these people rise, raise from, rise from the dead. And, and like, that's, like what that's their trope that they are fighting throughout the rest of the movie. And um, then like, uh, you know, that whole, that all plays out. And then the stoner and the virgin, of course, like that we have to have those. So we have the yeah. stoner, the virgin, the slut, the jock. And, and the scholar. Jack. Oh yeah. The scholar. Um, so the stoner and the virgin, uh, figure out that there is no way out of this cabin in the woods and that they, like all their friends are dead 
and they don't know what's going on but they know something is up right yeah yeah so yeah because they can't get past like the force field of where they are um so instead of trying to leave they just go deeper into the house um and they find this cellar and then they go in like they go into a random elevator in the cellar and then they end up in the labs and the labs have every single monster and horror trope you could ever possibly imagine. Like it's kind of, it's like a system um, like from monsters, Inc, the doors. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like on that sort of system. But with like, Typical movie monsters or atypical yeah. movie mo- There was like a robot with saw blades. Yeah. Just there, anything. Even you could Hell, think of. Hellraiser. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um but but then the farther they go, then they like they start releasing all these uh monsters into, like into the, the lab. lab. Yeah. And then they find out that um and as we find out too, that the ancient ones are like these gods, maybe, um, and they require sacrifices. Those five trope sacrifices: the virgin, the stoner, the slut, the jock, and the scholar. Or, yeah, yeah. And, or else. Or like else, basically. Have... Yeah. Yeah. And we also see, uh, as we're learning about this, we see every other country is trying to do the same, but they're failing. But you, at the time, you don't know what failing means. You don't know if failing means everyone dies. You don't know if failing means everyone lives. You just know that there's some sort of wacko simulation that these people are put through. And the way the movie, like, explains that information over time is really fun to watch because you don't know what's happening. So at first, the first instance of that is the five friends are driving to the cabin and they go around this cliff and they pass through a tunnel. And as they pass through the tunnel, you see this shimmering force field cutting the tunnel off. And it's like a wall that we, that comes into play later. I just think the movie does a good job of leaving little crumbs of information along that hint at what is really going on that we don't really learn until like the third act, which is super fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think of... Nope, lost my thought. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, wait, I have a story to tell that I forgot about. Okay, I'm ready. When I started this movie, it had the audio description on. Do you know what that is? Mm, have you oh, ever experienced yeah. yeah, it's like um, for blind people. Uh, yeah. And it. what happens is, like, if you don't know, is... One person is narrating everything that is happening on screen. Everything. So I started it and it's like blood rolls through the screen. We pull out through red gears and the Lionsgate logo appears. 
<laughs> and I was like, um, excuse me, what the heck? I in nowhere can I see where to turn that off, so I go to try and play a different Amazon Prime title. And it's not on it's not on that title. <laughs> so I, I'm like, okay, maybe it's off, whatever. And I go back to Cabin in the Woods and it happens again. And I'm like, what no. the heck? And then I'm thinking, do they only have the like accessible version on Amazon Prime? But you were texting me about it, so I'm like, okay, well, it's, clearly it's, it's working somehow. And I had to like go into the languages and select English, but English was the only option. It was English or nothing. So I don't even know how it was turned on. <laughs> but it reminded me of the time I was at my parents' house and they had a movie on that I had never seen before. And it was like a spy movie. I don't even know what it was, but that was turned on, but I had never heard that before. And I thought it was a feature of the movie. Um, so that's, ne- that's never happened to me, but I do have a friend who listened to our perfection horse girl episode mm-hmm. and then went to go watch I think the perfection she would she'd like watch the perfection and that was on but she just like watched the whole movie and thought it was like <laughs> yeah I literally watched probably 40 minutes of that movie thinking it was a feature of the movie because it was like it was like a pretty there was not a lot of dialogue and there was like a lot of fight scenes and it was like she grabs the knife and then it would happen so I was like oh this is interesting <laughs> No, <laughs> and then and then it got too specific, and I was like, "Okay, this can't be right." <laughs> this time, though, you know, I was on top of it. <laughs> That's really funny. I mean, it sounds like a great feature, like <laughs> if you need it. <laughs> oh man! Well, okay, just a couple things I want to hit on with this movie, aside from. What I've already said, which is I love the feeling of not knowing where it's going. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> I just have a question, which is, yeah, how old are they? Um, I mean, they're definitely in college. I would say, like, late teens, early 20s. Okay. The reason I ask is because Chris Hemsworth is wearing a Letterman jacket at one point. Oh, yeah. Oh, also, this is a fun fact that I learned about this movie, um, is that it was filmed in 2009. So this was, like, before Chris Hemsworth was even cast as Thor. Oh, wow. And it debuted at South By in 2012. So they lucked out. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know that anyone wore Letterman jackets after high school. (laughs) Well, it could have been a college Letterman jacket. They have those. I feel like I haven't seen a college person wearing a Letterman jacket for some reason. Okay, but how many college athletes do you know? Ooh, got (laughs) them. Not a one, I think. Yeah, I know exactly zero. (laughs) Anywhere between zero and one. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, 
you know, I I have seen this movie a bunch of times. Um, in fact, I had watched this movie. I think I even mentioned it like in a previous episode of like things that I have been watching. I watched it like really not that long ago. Um, so I've seen it a bunch of times and it's just like really fun. It's just like a a fun movie and it's just like it's a fun take on yeah, like a classic horror deal. Yeah. One that I don't think is even particularly scary. No. I, yeah. It's it's certainly violent, uh, if that upsets mm-hmm. you, but it's I don't think it's very scary. No, it's definitely not scary. But um I think though, like the the genius in this film is like that we like every horror movie we have ever seen and will ever see like could potentially live in this universe. <laughs> yeah, that that was so much fun. I love that about it. Uh this is just a small comment. I I don't really understand why there's a two-way mirror in in the cabin. Um aside from just being creepy. Cuz it doesn't have anything to do with the spy the the um government lab yeah but um on that note you know what? oh go ahead go ahead it might be a nod though to like another movie that we're just not thinking of well i i think drew goddard just likes two way mirror one way mirrors cuz there's <laughs> they're in his next movie too that we'll talk about yeah but I thought the I just thought this was funny and silly unintentionally where the scholar character discovers that he can see into the next room and in the next room is the virgin character and she starts undressing and he like stops her from doing that and is like listen I'll trade rooms with you if that makes you more comfortable and she's like yeah that'd be great so he goes into trade rooms and then immediately starts stripping. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's a one way mirror. I mean, if you got it, flaunt it. You know, he like he was taking a stance. <laughs> Just immediately, like not even a moment passed where he could have forgotten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> um. So the only other, like, critique I have of the story is there's this sort of minor thread of the stoner character mentioning that his friends are not what they normally are after being in the cabin. Like, they're Mm -hmm. turning into, they're turning into jocks, they're turning into idiots, which is what the, I guess the slut character was supposed Mm -hmm. to be. That's what they're calling her. They say that in the movie. They say what each trope is. Um, And I did not see that at all. I think they were exactly their tropes from the beginning. Like the stoner was rolls up smoking from a car mug that converts into a bong. (laughs) 
<laughs> which by the way <laughs> is should be a marketed product it was hilarious um and then chris hemsworth while he recognized the virgin's like engineering book he also throws a football in like the opening scene mm-hmm. so i don't i it, i love the idea of them turning into tropes but i think they were tropes from the beginning and i wish that would have been like a little stronger because i did not see them turn into anything i think they just were that already yeah I think the scholar put on glasses at one point in the movie and that was like it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, well, yeah. Um, the one thing, um, is that I don't, I don't want to use the word slut anymore. I know. I know. I don't need, that's why I said, I was like, this is the, this is what the movie called says. I think it is actually horror even. Oh, the other chick that isn't the virgin (laughs) character. Uh, Let's call her the blonde, the blonde, um, at one point, her and Chris Hemsworth go out and like into the woods to get it on. What she, yeah, but she at first she didn't want to, and then the lab pumped like pheromones. Oh, that's in, right, like through the grass. That's true. I don't know. I just like I don't. I think if if. The case was that they are turning into these tropes. I wish that was like seen from the beginning. Mm. Like I would have loved it to just be like five non-trope people that are friends turn into these like extreme versions of horror film tropes. Yeah. But on that note, at the end, when we have the Sigourney Weaver cameo, which is hilarious, uh, <laughs> we it's revealed that the main character is like the virgin sacrifice Mm -hmm. and she goes like virgin question mark and then Sigourney Weaver's like well we take what we can get (laughs) (laughs) that was funny yeah this movie is really smart and self-aware and like really quick yeah I love I love this type of movie especially once they get into the lab yeah I just love like things are not as they seem setups and then the one guy who i think it like is the dad from get out yeah mm-hmm. the one lab worker guy um he is he has been betting on a merman <laughs> as the winner for like forever i guess yeah and then he ends up like being attacked and killed ultimately by a merman <laughs> that was hilarious it was so good. Yeah. This movie is super, super original, while at the same time being extremely not, extremely not original because it's, you know, being a, a satire of every horror film. Yeah. Um, ever. But, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun, and I recommend it to anyone that even if you're afraid of horror films, I don't think it's going to scare you. But if you don't like violence, it is pretty violent at times. Yeah. I, you know, I like, I don't like, I'm not a huge violence fan. Um, but it's like in the context, even like it's totally digestible. And what I really like about it is it makes fun of like our like tendency to like horror films like when we're watching this girl 
get attacked brutally by a zombie. Everyone in the lab is like cheering for her or not cheering for her, cheering (laughs) for the death of her. And that's almost like how people consume horror movies and violence at Mm -hmm. times. They're like, yeah. And I think it's like even making fun of that in a smart way. Um, okay. Now that you mentioned that, I just have to tell a quick anecdote about this. Okay. So I like, am just, yeah, I'm just like not a fan of violence. And I went to this like boxing match or something like, I don't know, a couple of months ago, like six months ago or something. The before times. And yes, the before times. (laughs) And, um, I got, so, like, the match was going on forever, and then we moved seats, and we, like, got closer to the ring, and I don't know what it was. Like, I, I, like, didn't really want to be there, but whenever we got closer to the ring, I was, like, screaming, like, fucking knock him out! (laughs) (laughs) Like, it just did something to me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I thought yeah. you, I thought you were going to say the opposite, which is like you got closer and it was too uncomfortable to handle. No, I was I like really wanted to see these guys beat the shit out of each other. <gasps> Maybe that's just <laughs> really that's weird. that's the ring, baby. That's the power of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, I say that as like like that is the feeling, like whenever you're watching a movie. Exactly. And yeah, you're right. And this movie is a, very aware of that. Yeah. Um, I don't have, I mean, like, really, I don't really have anything negative to say about this movie. I'll watch it again and again. Uh, I think if I said anything negative, it would be that it's like surface level fun. I don't know if it's like a masterpiece. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, it's not like it's not that deep. But extremely watchable. Yes. Well, shall we hit it? Hit it a number? Yeah. All right. What would you Um, give it out of 10? Out of 10, this is a strong seven. I also give it a seven out of 10. (gasps) Look at us. Doing it. All right, Movie Maven's score for Cabin in the Woods is a 7 out of 10. We have a problem. You watch me? I only watch who they tell me to watch. Who's they? Management. Did you think you could just take this mine and I wouldn't come a home? No, I figured you would. Then I'd be ready when you did. You lost, Father. Can I confess something to you? I'm not really a priest. Okay, and then so our double feature this week with Cabin in the Woods was uh, Bad Times of the El Royale, also directed by Drew Goddard. Mm-hmm. This is his sophomore directorial uh, film. Yeah, and um, it came out in. 2018. 
Mm-hmm. And it has a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Here, That's really surprising to me. I think it's rated on a much higher level compared to like Cabin mm. Woods because it's got this crazy cast and uh, bigger, gianter budget. Here is the description on IMDb. Early 1970s. Four strangers check in at the El Royale Hotel. The hotel is deserted, staffed by a single desk clerk. Some of the new guests' reasons for being there are less than innocent, and some are not who they appear to be. Yeah. Okay. So, um, right off the bat, this movie is so different from Cabin in the Woods um, in terms of character development, background story, just like how fast the plot moves. Um, also, this film is episodic, so we get, like, little vignettes, um, and we also get vignettes of people's backstory, um, and it's funny, like, okay, so the El Royale is, so in these one-way mirrors that are in all of the hotel rooms, which is like a discovery, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the like the people who stay there don't know this, but um the there's like a corridor behind all of the one-way mirrors because um the owners of this hotel were are like voyeurs and they like maybe sell or exploit or blackmail blackmail um certain people who stay there because they film them doing crazy acts yeah it's um, it's not ever fully explained but i read it as like a a common hotel for important people that is used as like a blackmail device machine almost like yeah by the government question mark yeah so that's interesting so john ham um plays I'm going to assume it's either FBI or CIA. I'm going to say CIA. Um, he plays an agent um, who goes undercover to retrieve. Uh, what is it called? He is he retrieving uh, oh, a surveillance? Tape? No, he's he's retrieving um, surveillance like um, like listening devices in yeah. this one room in the honeymoon suite and as he's retrieving all of these devices he finds a second set of devices that aren't excuse me the cia's so then he goes to like explore to and like come to find out they were the hotel's listening devices Mm -hmm. and that's how we discover that there's a corridor on the other side of the one-way mirror because John Hamm discovers it. Yeah. Yep. And but this isn't John Hamm's movie. This is like an ensemble cast. Yeah, no. Um but I do really quickly want to talk about John Hamm's character and his accoutrement. Let's talk about it. That there is my accoutrement. And then he drops it. When he's on the phone with his family. 
Yeah. So fun. that was like, so that was the first like twist. Yeah. Um, where we kind of realized that like something else is afoot here. Um, but he play, he played it so well. Like he's just, I don't want to call him an underrated actor, but I, I do wish that I saw him in more like things. Hmm. Yeah. I heard something funny recently about this movie where it was like, it, what an interesting play as John, John Hamm, who is supposed to be like an undercover agent, but goes around trying to be the most like jolly, likable and unforgettable man <laughs> that you've ever yeah. met. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And he like tells everybody his full name and like hands out cards and stuff. I think maybe it's just that he like is not a good agent. I guess um, not because of his future demise. Well, yeah. And then too, like whenever he calls to report um, the kidnapping that also takes place that we'll get to later. Whenever he calls to report the kidnapping, his director is like, don't interfere. Like you went there for one thing, retrieve the, the um, surveillance devices and get out. I just think like, why would a good agent be sent to this random hotel to retrieve like, you know, they could just, they could have just left him there, but they, like, needed to give him a job. Oh, you're saying they know he's bad. Yeah. That's funny. They actually sent him to his death. Mm-hmm. They didn't need those listening devices removed. No, they, no, they really, I mean, it really is not. very convenient that all these characters are the ones at the hotels and they're the only ones at the hotel <laughs> for that night. Yeah. Uh... Does this movie open on, is the opening scene with the money being stored in the hotel? Isn't that the opening yeah. scene? Yeah, so the opening scene is um, Nick Offerman, actually, strangely, um, pulling up the floor of a hotel room um, to hide money which we later learn is money. Um, and then he is immediately killed. <laughs> yeah. But what, by the way, that scene is so good. And here's my thing with this movie. This movie is like a collection of really cool scenes. Vignettes. Vignettes. Like the scenes that just the little bites of each scene are so cool. It almost seems like, Drew Goddard just thought of cool scenes and then tried to like figure out how to connect them in some way. <laughs> That's how I take it. Cause I, for me, I don't think it really comes together very well where I don't think he had this story in mind at the end, like from beginning to end. I think he just had these really incredible vignettes thought of. That's how I, mm. that's how it seems to me because my biggest problem with this movie Aside from the runtime, which is this does not mean being biased that every movie should be shorter, but I think a lot of this runtime 
I think if it was just tightened up with like one more script pass or one more edit pass, it would have been a lot better. But the third act falls apart for me as it does. I think by my understanding for a lot of people, Mm. which we can get into once we get that deep, but yeah, some of these scenes, especially the early scenes of this movie are so good. And this movie starts so strong And the mystery is, like, so intriguing. I love that. I love discovering the mirrors. I love discovering, or, like, getting, wondering what this money is about. And then we're taken over to this CIA story. And then before we get to know what that's about, you know, enter the singer character. And what is she up to? Yeah. Um, You know, like, the the whole thing with the hotel is that it's like it's this voyeur hotel and we as the audience are posited as voyeurs as like people who are just watching I mean obviously like we're watching the movie but we're just watching the mystery unfold and I think there is a lot of mystery and it is all like really intentionally placed like how we learn about um, Emily AKA Dakota, what's her name? Uh, not Dakota Fanning. No. Uh, Dakota Johnson. Yeah. Um, Dakota Johnson. Um, we learn about her sister and that her sister was in a cult. Also, she killed her dad. And like just everything unfolds in time, but like it's all chopped up in these little vignettes and we get to know all these characters separately. And then at like in the final act, in the third act, then we're, then we see like how and why these characters all are there at the same time. Um, And I can definitely see like how people would think that, or I guess how you maybe thought, think that it's, it like wasn't it was just like written like cool scene cool scene cool scene and just like <laughs> let's throw it all together but i i am of the mind that it's just like it's a true voyeur adventure uh did you ever see four rooms um yeah it's like remind me um it's about this bellhop who goes into like four different hotel rooms and it has little Mm -hmm. adventures in each and each room is directed by a different director. The fourth of which being Quentin Tarantino. And he's also starring in it. Yes. I watched that a long time ago, but you know what though? More than four rooms. It reminded me of 1114. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. It's um, a show. It's a a movie. Okay. Um, I think I've mentioned it before, but it's got Hilary Swank and it's just like, yeah, all these tiny little vignettes. Um, but it all comes together at 1114 where like all of these stories happen at the exact same time. But we are obviously getting them at different mm. times because. Let me let me explain, I guess, what the th- why the third act didn't work for me. Um, I thought of all these stories. You got Jeff Bridges being a fake priest involved with the money, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, ever. 
We have Darlene, aka Cynthia Arrivo, the one that sings. I think she's like auditioning for something. And uh, no, she, she is. She was going to play a show in yeah, right. Reno. That's right. And then we have two sisters, Dakota Johnson and her sister. Dakota Johnson, it seems like she kidnaps the sister, but she's actually trying to save her from this cult. And John Hamm, CIA agent. And for me, the like least fleshed out story amongst all these characters is the sister's story. Mm. And it felt like it got short short handed but at the same time it gets the entire it somehow like gets the entire third act because of chris hemsworth coming in and i also don't love that a a character we don't know anything about like comes in to be the villain in the last act i don't love that about it yeah but we meet him we see like a silhouette of him right no, no, no. We meet him like uh, he yeah. his little vignette is the second the, one to um, the money vignette. That's right. But and he's but not presented see, as like a. It doesn't seem like he's like the bad guy until he is. I guess um, of the entire story. Oh yeah, of the entire story. But I mean, who would be? I think the they, bad guy. I would have just preferred it if it was just the the core people getting into a conflict of their own volition without an outside force coming in. Hmm. See, I think his story is folded in. I think like the whole story of the sisters and them escaping the cult. I think it's folded in and explained well enough for me to where I didn't really have a problem with him like swooping in and being this cult leader. Mm-hmm. I wondered how this movie would have been if Chris Hemsworth was hidden from the marketing. Hmm. Because he, since he does come in later or he's revealed later, like would that have been a fun reveal? Like, he is, like, on the poster as the center stage. (laughs) But he doesn't have much to do. Much screen time. I don't know. I would be curious to see, like, how much screen time he actually has. Because he has, like, two full scenes early in the movie. But it's just, maybe it, maybe he feels not part of the story because he's not at the hotel. That could be it, yeah. Or he just doesn't seem important until he is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's just something about it. it just did not work for me about that specifically. Um, I really. I just have to comment on the color of this movie. Chef's Kiss. Oh my god, it's so good. Every This movie looks so good. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, and like, it seemed like everybody's outfit, everybody's room, um, the cars that everyone was driving, every single color like 
served a purpose and gave a character trait like to those people. Yeah. Like, so we see, so like Darlene is, she, she gets this room and it's like pink, but then she puts up, so she's a singer and she has to like practice for her show. Um, And so she puts up this army green, like, um, like bed foam almost up on the wall. And so then we like get the juxtaposition of this really soft pink room with this really hard army green barrier. Mm -hmm. And I think it just like, I don't know. It just, it's just really beautifully done. I just loved all of the colors. Yeah. It's a, it's a marvel to look at for sure. I, Another thing that maybe this is why this movie disappointed me when I saw it was that this movie, this should be an Annie movie because it's like a little bit of Tarantino spiced in there. Coen brothers spiced in there. Like all these really great influences. It looks really good. I love schemes as you know. Oh yeah. I love scheming and this movie is like, full of scheming but I think it just start I don't know it just started so strong for me and maybe I just didn't like where it ended and I didn't like the cult thing or maybe the cult thing is like too overdone it's like all over everywhere these days maybe that was it even Mm. but and also it's like because of its influences it's also like well now I have to compare it to Coen Brother and Tarantino films which are like masterpieces so it's hard that doesn't help but i cannot wait to see what this guy's gonna make next because if this is a second film holy cow uh, yeah holy cow i um you know i i just had a lot less issues with it like i had so much fun watching this movie it was fun it was fun was it too yeah, long for you I- Did you think? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? The first time I watched it. So I think I've seen this movie a handful of times, maybe like three or four times. Mm -hmm. And the first time I watched it, yes, it was way too long. Um, I saw it in theaters and it was way too long in theaters. I didn't didn't see it in theaters. (laughs) But every every other time that I've seen it, like it, it doesn't feel as long as the first time, I think, because I'm like picking up on different things. Mm-hmm. So like on this last watch, um, I picked up on like, they repeated a lot of the character, a lot of the characters repeated a couple of different sayings. One of them was all kinds of bad. Hmm. So, um, all kinds Emily, of bad times at the El Royale roll credits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, Emily said, Emily refers to Chris Hemsworth as all kinds of bad. And then Rosie says about Chris Hemsworth, he's going to be all kinds of mad. Mm. And then Miles, um, who is the attendant, Miles Miller, he says later to Emily that the people who own the hotel are all kinds of bad. That's a... Oh, keep going. 
there, there's just a couple of other instances, like in a couple of other phrases that these characters who seemingly like have never met each other say to each other. I just thought that was really interesting. That's a Coen brothers thing. They, they find a phrase and any character will say it at any given time. Here's one. Here's a example at the top of my head, a very small one in raising Arizona. Everybody says the phrase, okay, then all the time, or it'll be a stinger, which is like, it'll be a button on a scene, which means it'll be the last thing said on a scene. Like, the main characters will say it, but also, like, the court, the judge will say it in the court scene. Like, side characters will say it. It's like a trope to establish. I think it establishes place very well. Mm. Or time. Yeah. I I hadn't noticed it um, on my initial couple of watches, but this that was something I noticed on this watch. And yeah, I, I didn't know, notice just, like. It's just so, I think it's just really artful. This movie is just like really artful. It's the coloring, the way that it's shot, the mystery of it all, all of the different vignettes. Like, this it, is it's not. It's cinema. Yeah. This, this is, is cinema, not your baby. grandma's movie. No. <laughs> this, is, this is a movie that justifies being a movie as opposed to a novel or a play or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, actually, I just found this out today. Um, Drew Goddard is... Wait. No, I'm thinking of someone else. I was looking at S. Craig Zoller because I really want to watch Bone Tomahawk. And I I really want you to watch that movie, but... um, Me too. Excuse me. I found out that he is a novelist. Oh. Yeah. No way. Fun fact. Fun fact. Um, also, Drew Goddard, I want to say, okay, he, like, either, like, went, I don't know, he has somehow involved in Albuquerque. Like, either he, like, went to UNM for a little bit, or, like, he, I don't know, so- something. Yeah, Annie, look it up. Drew Goddard has been to New Mexico. Uh, he was raised in Los Alamos. Oh, okay. He attended Los Alamos High School. That's the connection. Oh. Well. Oh, and. Uh, oh, okay. Wait, did he direct The Martian? No, he was. He wrote the screenplay. He adapted the screenplay. Oh, Ridley Scott directed The Martian. I was like, whoa. Okay. All right. I am very curious about this man's career because he's young and he's talented. Extremely talented, yeah. And he's a white man, so he has everything going for him in Hollywood. Literally. (laughs) He can do anything he wants to. (laughs) He has had Chris Hemsworth in both of his movies. Yeah. They're actually best friends. <laughs> oh my god. Well, you want to throw a number on it? Anything else to say? Um no. I don't I um I do actually want to talk about the fact that 
Jeff Bridges play, is like faking being a priest. Even though, like, okay, here is the situation. He is an ex-con. He literally just got paroled. He has Alzheimer's. And he is going to this hotel to dig up money from a heist that him and his dead brother did 10 years previous. Like, excuse me, like, who comes up with this shit? I don't, um, but I think, like, the really beautiful, like, he just, I don't know. I think it was just, like, I really like the fact that he plays a priest, and I really like the fact that Miles Miller, the attendant, is, like, so desperate to confess to him. Yeah. Before he dies. It was a really beautiful moment when Jeff Bridges finally... He was, like, trying to explain to Miles, like, I'm not a priest. And Miles was like, please forgive me. Because, if you don't know, Miles was in Vietnam, right? And he killed, like, 200 people or something. 123 people. And he is a great shot. Yeah. He, and he's very guilty about it. And right before he dies, he's, like, begging Jeff Bridges to grant him forgiveness and then Jeff Bridges eventually just pretends to be a priest and does it. And it's a really touching moment, I thought. Yeah, it is really touching. I, and like all, and that like juxtaposed with the fact that like they just killed a bunch of people and like the hotel's on fire and it's a fake priest, I, a heroin addict and a black chick. Like, all of these, I don't know, it's just, like, (laughs) it's just so insane. It's just an insane premise. All of it. Yeah. For sure. Also, uh, casting agents, if you're out there, if Tom Holland is booked up, just give, just give Lewis Pullman a call. He could do it, too. Oh, my God. He's the same person. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's so good. They're the same person. Um, you know what? He actually reminds me a little bit of Anton Yelchin. Yelchin. Yeah, he yeah. I still I see a lot more Tom Holland there, but I see what you're saying. RIP. Um, one last thing and then we can write it is okay, so a big part of this whole thing this whole movie is um jeff bridges father daniel flynn finds a tape um uh like that miles had recorded or i mean it could have been anyone at the hotel i guess recorded um and they it's presumed to be like worth a lot of money and I, my thought was that, okay, and l- tell me what you think. I think it's JFK. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a Kennedy video. But which Kennedy? I think I, I think as I watched, I, I thought JFK as well. Some JFK Maryland action, perhaps. Yeah. Or it could be okay, anyone. It, isn't that so crazy, though, that like, 
we it's not revealed at all in any way who it is, except that we find out through Rosie, she says, oh, I know that guy. He's dead. But like, oh, you know what? I actually remember Googling this the first time I watched it and it was uh not JFK and I don't know who it was. It was probably someone I had never heard of. What? Who, like, did, yeah, who revealed that? I take it back. It's looking like it's JFK, but obviously not confirmed. But I just, I love, like, the context clues that we get, which is virtually no context clues. (laughs) That's just how obvious it was, I guess. Yeah. No, I I really liked that. Yeah. Um yeah, this um this is another film that's really fun to watch. I think it like is like a couple of grades ahead of Cabin in the Woods, but I would say equally fun. Yeah. It's certainly like uh more expertly made. Yeah. In Cabin in the Woods, that's for sure. Uh, okay, I'll give it a number. Okay. I will give Bad Times at the El Royale an 8 out of 10. <gasps> I... So... You know what? The runtime... Just... On principle alone, it's a 9 out of 10. All right, that means a Movie Maven score for Bad Times at the El Royale is an 8.5 out of 10. Wow. Two high-scoring movies. Two high scores. Um, all right, well, next week we have no idea what we're watching. Um, or do we? Nope. Okay. Not a clue. <laughs> um, I I actually oh, oh I bad education. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want to watch Bad Education and what was the other movie? Throwbreds. I think we should. I think we should watch Bad Bad Education first and then decide on the double feature because I don't know what that movie's about at all. What Bad Education or Thoroughbreds? Bad edu- Bad Education. I've seen Thoroughbreds. Um, all right. Well, I also put out a story today and asked our viewers, um, our Instagram followers, which streaming platform we should go to next. So, um, I guess after bad education, we can see what they say or even change our minds. Honestly, there's no fucking rules. We're going to play this shit by ear. Yes. Uh, yeah. Don't hold us accountable for anything. Nothing. <laughs> cool. Um, but if you want to find out what we're up to uh, while you're not listening to this podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Movie Mavens. You can follow us on Twitter at Movie Mavens Pod, where I will reveal what we are actually watching because we don't know at this current time. Um, if you want to find out 
more about Annie and myself, you can go get some nuggets of knowledge on our website at moviemavenspodcast.com. And if uh, we, you just want to talk to us and um, write us a letter, you can email us at moviemavenspodcast at gmail.com. Movie Mavens out. <laughs>